This is the Labour Housing Podcast. Welcome to the Labour Housing Podcast, brought to you live from Liverpool at the Labour Party conference. Today we'll be looking at homelessness, both the massive increase in rough sleeping that we've seen since 2010 and the increase in hidden homelessness with families and uh, people trapped in temporary accommodation and poor quality housing. We are joined in the Labour Housing podcast by one of the shadow housing team, Melanie On, who is responsible for homelessness. And we're also joined by Greg Beale, who is the director of campaigns and policy at Shelter. Hello. Hi. Hi, Sarah. So, Mel, um, how long have you been a MP? Uh, I was elected in 2015. 15. So, three years, just over three years. And shadow minister for... Uh, every year I think in this role I was uh, when I first was elected I was probably the longest title in the whole of Parliament because I was a a shadow deputy leader of the house Ah. for a short period of time very good yeah and you have experienced homelessness yourself Yes, but I I take issue with you saying I'm responsible for homelessness, I will just say that, (laughs) I am not responsible for homelessness. Responsible for Labour's policies on homelessness. Yeah, I've got got to say around that. Um, Yes, I have got personal experience, which I think is um, probably not exclusive, but certainly unusual amongst members of Parliament. Uh, When I was 17, I, uh, due to family breakdown, uh, found myself with nowhere to live and so I had to go to a local charity in Grimsby called Doorstep. Um, it's still there, I still wow. support them, yeah. I still go and see them, I go and talk to their young people now and they um, they found me somewhere to live in the town. Um, so I moved into uh, a shared house with other uh, young women who yeah. uh, also found themselves, usually, usually it was um, because they had fallen out of their families for various reasons. Um, there was one young girl, she was, um, her family were Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. and she had started to question her faith and it had caused real problems mm-hmm. within her family. And so um, she uh, was in the house with us for a while. Um, and I stayed there for about a year. Um, and. I didn't know anything about anything and the charity had to help me with applying for benefits, um, mm. I had to learn how to budget, I had to learn how to cook, um, wow. how to uh, clothe myself after um, you know, paying for all of the, the bills that came out of the very meagre amount of money that you, you do get from the state um, and while I was doing that carried on going to college and the big concern that I had really was would, was I still going to be able to carry on you know intended to go to university was I going to be able to do that and actually mm. thanks to having that stability at that time of having somewhere to go and having yeah. that support I was able to go on to wow. university but I do look back and think if that support hadn't have been there if I hadn't have been able to access a welfare system because of my age at the time when I first went to see the charity they um, they were going to try and put me in 
foster care mm. and that went down very badly <laughs> that would have not been an appropriate housing solution for me at the time um so uh, it all worked out well yeah. anyway well, that's an incredible story and it must help you understand what people are going through so much more than uh, than you otherwise would you know you can empathize because i think definitely on it. the empathy i don't know whether the full understanding is there this morning I, i've been with a local housing association that runs support services for young people who are homeless yeah. and i was chatting to some of the young people there and they called me old <laughs> and I thought oh, I'm really detached now from the challenges of young people um, and some of the things that they were talking about um, they did they did resonate and I did understand um, and they had this uh, very uh, clear sense that people like me had no understanding of their lives oh, their challenges yeah how yeah. they're feeling um, yeah. and and I understand why they feel probably they don't have lots of people talking to them that come from any basis of having experienced the kind of lives that they're living and I wouldn't even claim that I've lived half the lives that some young people are living at all yeah um Greg you're at shelter yeah one of the most wonderful organizations in the country I haven't worked for it myself and you've got a history working um, within the Labour Party as well what's what's your story that's right so um, I mean I've been at shelter now a bit more than a, a year and then prior to that I uh, had the privilege and the honor of working for the Labour governments I was the Downing Street um, health advisor working on the NHS and social care and then I was the director of strategy for the Labour Party from 2010 through to uh, just after the 2015 election mm. um, and uh, so in we some ways blame you? Well, <laughs> well in some ways so I mean going to shelter was in some ways an opportunity to um, uh, I suppose it was a shift from a focus which was all about sort of winning an election down the line yeah. and putting change in place that is big and radical change that a government can do yeah. but with Shelter the, the attraction of it for me in part is that it's making a difference every day yeah. and like your yeah. story there now right about you know like the the organisation the charity in that case that stepped in and was able to help you at that point in life and now look at what you're doing now yes. and uh, I mean to be honest with you that, that experience is what I hope that my working at shelter and shelters able to do really yeah. which is we can't we can't change the world in the way government does mm. but we can change some lives for the better and make yeah. a contribution to the debate that yeah. that hopefully changes policy in the end yeah so let's talk about policy let's talk about the, the the problem that we've got with homelessness at the moment mel how would you describe the situation that we have in terms of rough sleeping and in terms of hidden homelessness um, mm. on the streets at the moment i think it's catastrophic you know we're in 2018 and I look around when I'm walking around just about every single town and city in the country and can barely believe that we're in a situation that we have got citizens bedding down for the night and I you know remember um, the period of uh, the late 90s and early noughties of um, Labour government taking drastic action realizing yeah. that street homelessness particularly was on the rise and taking steps straight away to start to uh, drive that down and we did you know we drove it down to uh, a third of what it had been and we were well, on our way Casey, to completely yeah homeless czar, a homelessness czar, absolutely and, yeah. making Formally sure that it came yes. making also. sure that it came <laughs> from the top you know that it, it was something that was leader-led um and and a real desire because i remember all of the narratives around um the the 
uh, cardboard city in Waterloo in particular, yes. um, the uh, stories about children in temporary accommodation living in uh, bed and breakfast and bed sits that were wholly unsuitable. And it just seems that in eight short years, we have just rolled back so far. Um, rough sleeping's up 169% wow. over the last eight years. We've mm. got 120,000 children that are living in temporary accommodation, what that does for their mental health, their whole family's mental health, their physical health, their education, um, their physicality, uh, you know, I just think is, is awful. And we've got citizens that are rough sleeping, that are dying on our streets and they barely get a passing mention in yeah. Parliament. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it's awful, it's really heartbreaking yeah. to think that this is a situation that we're in. And, uh, Greg, what's, so we say, you know, obviously the Conservatives have been in since 2010 and, and these things have started to increase. What has happened in terms of the policies and the decisions that have been made that has come to this point? Yeah. Well, part of the tragedy of where we've got to today is that the the, the kind of homelessness we're talking about, it's it's hard to get down. It takes real concerted government effort to bring it down. And then when and then when it's allowed to creep up, it just easily creeps up. And so I mean what we're talking about now is over the last few years, a lot of hard work from public servants, charities and others that's gone into bringing the number down has, has gone into reverse. Um, I mean, it's changed a bit, the nature of homelessness in that time, the drivers of it. So whereas sort of 10, 20 years ago, social factors were uh, the, the, the key thing, family breakdown, divorces, um, uh, loss of a uh, home that somebody owned, for example, repossession. Mm. Now, the, 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 the brutal nature of our rental market, which I yes. know you've been talking about on uh, other podcasts, is, is probably the key thing that sits yeah. underneath that rising level of homelessness. Most people who become homeless are becoming homeless because they lose a, 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 a privately rented yeah. property. And that's really risen in the last two to five years, that, yeah. hasn't it? It's the, yeah. the main driver of And as more families, absolutely, and as yeah. more families are renting in that way as well, mm. we've basically exposed you know children and families with low incomes to this brutal rental market in a way that they just hadn't been exposed to it previously. So that's, yeah. that's changed. Underneath that, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that um, the, the, the way welfare reform has panned out yes. has been an engine driving uh, much of this problem, yeah. uh, and that's going to pose that's going to pose a big question for you know both major parties at the next election: what yeah. to do about, to do about the, the the way in which um, uh, uh, housing benefit has been hollowed out through benefit freeze. It's not an appropriate fit for purpose benefit. Mm. Uh, anymore, so that's that's a big part of it, and then the third part of that sort of equation of this this sort of um, uh, this sort of poisonous mixture is the decline of social housing. Um, we have got we've got 1.2 million people on the waiting list for a social home. Mm. We built 6,000 last year. Mm. I mean, the, well, the and difference... there's a lot of people that would be on the waiting list if only they'd be <laughs> eligible to get on it as yeah. well. So it's not yeah. even the yeah. the whole problem, is it? Yes, that's right. Yes. And what about um, just looking at thinking about welfare reform and universal credit? Um, what uh, what are you seeing with 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 that as it's rolled out? Well, so uh, I think we, I think other organisations like the Trust for Trust and others have have experienced this thing where 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 universal credit is being rolled out. We've seen a spike in people coming to our helpline, coming to the advice service. Uh, coming through the door of shelter hubs so it's definitely a factor we haven't yet had the big migration of people onto universal credit so in a sense we're looking at the next uh, the next sort of year as being a big risk for 
yeah. um, uh, for the situation of homelessness that it could get sort of substantively worse. Yeah. It is worth saying that the government is now taking some actions. So we've got uh, the Homelessness Reduction Act is now in place. We've got a rough sleeping uh, strategy. Yeah. But the challenge for these things is they are they're good practical measures to sort of deal with the problem as it emerges to deal with the, to, to sort of deal with people once they're once they're rough sleeping in particular but we just haven't changed this sort of conveyor belt of policies that's driving people mm. to the point of losing their home yeah. and so with one hand we've got the government trying to do what it can to to sort of put sticking plaster over the problem with the other hand the problem looks like it's getting worse yeah i mean i, I feel like it's a bit of a um, a self-made problem for the government you know homelessness is going up while uh, all of the drivers are part of government policy and until they end uh, the the rollout of their their universal credit in the way that it's working at the moment making people wait five weeks uh, before they get their first payment so they're already in arrears with their rent um, making it more difficult for them to pay their landlords directly mm. uh, the level of vulnerability that people have to express and the process that they have to go through to uh, to have that uh, reinstated is is really really high um, so I feel like you know the the measures that the government has taken they sound really good in practice they're not actually helping and you know to expect local authorities in the homelessness reduction act expect um, local authorities to pick up all of the pieces while not providing them with sufficient funding to be able to do that and loading them with extra uh, burdens of regulation and responsibilities around the private rented sector too I don't know where they think that capacity is going to come from mm. so it sounds great you know it's a, it's a challenge for me to be able to say but they're failing on homelessness mm. because to all intents and purposes they're talking about new policies you're right it is a conveyor belt um, but in terms of delivery mm. and will we actually see long-term difference and when I speak to homelessness charities including shelter <laughs> <laughs> they uh, you know they're telling me that they want something that properly embeds into the system yeah. that's long term and that means not taking your eye off the ball and it means having all of those policies that aren't punitive and at the moment it feels very much like the warm words are there but the action really isn't and the long-term support financially isn't well and look, I mean let's be clear we are I mean, the government set you know 10-year objective through to 2027 but I mean at the moment homelessness has, rise, has risen every year mm. uh, uh, since 2010 mm. rough sleeping's up every year so um, I mean, we're, we're not even at the point yet where we've turned the corner and began to bring it down let alone got to the position where we've eradicated it so it is it is really we are really talking about emergency levels of um, Mm. Uh, of a problem now. Mm. I was just looking at the statistics before I came over actually. Do you know that one in 36 single parent families is now in temporary accommodation? Wow. I mean that just it just seems to me that's, in, that's like that's really it's, it's high. Like, Is it 120,000? 120,000 children. children. That's right. Yeah, um, I mean it's not it's, this is not a, a sane way for a you know modern economy and a modern no. country and to conduct its housing. And it's not a good way to uh, spend system. money no. in terms of spending money on housing either. The idea that you know through discretionary housing payments or um, you know through uh, what was housing benefit but uh, uh, rapidly becoming just rolled into universal credit, the housing element of universal credit, um, to spend that on inadequate housing, on temporary housing, emergency housing, all of which are incredibly expensive yeah. rather yeah. than taking the step and investing for the long term to provide quality housing yeah. on a widespread scale yeah. um yeah. you know you, you it's like trying to uh, stop a flood um you know just by 
putting your finger in a dam, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah well, I, I feel like every time that, you know, every step forward that's made in relation to sort of homelessness, sort of, um, you know, policies to deal with people on the streets, I feel every time, you know, we have to say to the government, you can't solve, solve homelessness without homes. Yeah. You know, if you don't have the homes that are affordable, at stable, secure, mm. you know, rents, then you, you are in the end going to have a problem that you're picking up the pieces from. And as you say, it's much more expensive to deal with this downstream after mm. people have got into great difficulty than to provide them a stable home, yeah. you know, in the first instance. And it's, a, and it's a challenging environment now. You know, the Prime Minister's talked about stigma around social housing. Um, but, you know, the, the culture that over the last eight years, welfare, every kind of welfare is all bad and everybody's a scrounger you know the the public sympathy in terms of spending money in the in the amounts that we need to to tackle homelessness and the root cause of homelessness and put in place all the preventative measures uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, no, it's no, difficult really, to try totally and get agree. that I mean, public I, I, support. I, I say, by the way, the, um, that, that sort of that, that language that's got us to the position where we are sort of demonising and talking down people on benefits, I think we're now seeing there's got a real um, sort of social and economic cost to it. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, I was, we were talking um, at an event earlier. I mean, we see now the level of discrimination that we see in the private renting system against people who are receiving benefits, receiving housing benefits, these yep. no DSS adverts. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's so widespread. And of course, what it's doing is it's making it more difficult for the very, you know, for the most vulnerable people who are at the sharpest end of the housing market yep. to get in and stay yep. in a secure and home. And that's a, that's a cycle that I, I see all the time in Croydon where people are desperate to get a social home but they're on the register, they're not high up enough to to, yep. to get it. The mm. council will fund them to, to, to move into better private rented accommodation if they're in, you know, really poor quality accommodation but they can't find anywhere because there's nowhere <laughs> that will rent to people on benefits and yeah. it's it's just a cycle where you're completely stuck yeah. and it's really good that genuinely the shelter are doing a campaign on it because I don't think it's something that we have talked about enough and it's it's a massive issue and uh, and it's, it's great that you're trying to raise the, well, it's just, the it's, it's just it's, it strikes me that it's, it's just become one of these things that's accepted, accepted that yeah. if you are receiving benefits you're somehow second class yeah. And therefore, we can we can decide that we just don't want to let a property to you. Mm. It is letting agents, uh, it is some landlords, it's insurers, it's yeah. lenders. I mean, this is a widespread problem uh, that you know it's got to be called out, mm. and we're also going to be challenging it in the courts because we, we think it's unlawful under the mm, Equality that's Act. Great. And there's some local authorities now that, when they're faced with that situation, they are um, acting as guarantors. To, right. to persuade landlords to take on um, people who are uh, in receipt of benefits mm -hmm. where they wouldn't have otherwise done that, which again just seems like, one, the private sector taking on the role of social landlords, which I don't think was ever the intention of the private rented sector in the first place, but two, councils using the money that they have to underwrite private landlords is, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's an interesting development yeah. and that has come about yeah. through necessity, not by choice, yeah. um, to try to solve particularly London's housing yeah. crisis. Let's um, let's talk about what Labour would do and the platform that we're standing on in terms of our mm. policies. Mel, what, what's uh, Labour's solution to the homelessness crisis? We want to build more houses. I mean, making sure that council houses are first and foremost and housing association properties, obviously, uh, making sure that those social homes are 
built, uh, you know, saying day one of a Labour government that that is going to be a priority. Um, but also working with housing associations with their existing stock and allocating some of that to uh, support people who are homeless uh, and working with them to allocate those properties to people who are in need. Um, utilising things like housing first models which are being piloted around the country, uh, looking at secure tenancies at the moment saying minimum three year secure tenancy ending no fault evictions. Uh, so there are lots and lots of things that are you know kind of in our, our basket of proposals to, to try and end homelessness and it goes across the whole piece really you know partly it comes into welfare reform as well not my area so I shouldn't really <laughs> talk about it in case I say something wrong <laughs> but uh, you know it, I think it, it has to go uh, you know cross departmentally to try and solve the problem and, uh, and make sure that it's something that yeah. ends for the long term. And what about the very um, vulnerable people that are, that are on the streets, the rough sleepers that have multiple um, uh, issues that need support, what's, what's Labour's answer to that? Well I think we've got we have got in place in this country some fantastic uh, facilities through um, supported housing uh, functions and I think that I mean there's a lot of conversation around housing first at the moment which is the model that says you know housing is the most important thing get a roof over people's heads and then do the wraparound support and I do support that um, but I do think that in emergency and crisis things like hostels are really important uh, things like move on accommodation is really important doing the preventative work in the first place, making sure that you know if people need access to mental health services, that mm. they're able to get the support there. If people need access to um, uh, drug or alcohol uh, support, that they're able to get that too, because at the moment that is so reduced that they're not able to do that. And I think that there's other work that we could do as well around um, people who are leaving institutions, whether it's uh, leaving uh, prison or whether it's leaving um, the army or uh, uh, services full stop, whether it's leaving uh, care um, for those people yeah, who are leaving those institutions, yeah. you know, to make sure that there is work done while they're in those institutions, while you can get them, <laughs> while you know exactly where they are, you can provide them with the support and then continue the uh, supportive work as they uh, leave and get some independence. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's, there's huge amounts that can be done and Housing First has got a role to play in that. Um, I, I've been spending the last couple of days around conference lamenting the loss of the supported living funding and I still think that that really is the, the best way to have that in local government so that it can be spent specifically on local communities where they need it to provide the support that people need within their, their local area. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean I think the um I think the debate about sort of housing first hostels and so on can become very uh, sort of polarised between people p sort of pitching their particular mm -hmm. idea, mm -hmm. and I think one. Uh, and, well, I think I think that is right. I mean, I think I think the thing that's so um, I think we think so encouraging about the proposals that Labour are coming forward at the moment is they are an attempt to get to the underlying problems in the housing system and not just deal with not just deal with people after they become homeless and yeah. so and I think that's that is really important I don't think I don't know anyone that's serious in the field of homelessness uh, reduction who thinks that you can just deal with this the, the, these problems after people are becoming and presenting as homeless it's, it's far too late at that point to be obviously you have to get people to safety and you have to get them yeah. you know off the streets but it's far too late to be trying to only at that point turning to how you deal with these issues and in particular having the social housing available is key because uh, in the end we're what we're doing is we're forcing people to at the sharpest end of our housing system we're forcing them to have to contend with 
the most brutal parts of the housing market, which is private renting, where there's very little security, uh, very little certainty about what you'll be paying, uh, you know, next month, you know, let alone next year, and um, uh, and 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 social housing is specifically does offer the things that give people a chance to have a a sort of stable, secure home as the foundation mm. for for everything else. Mm. The thing about housing first that I'd say is because is in our experience and where we where we where we've done this best in the pilots, it's actually being provided. Um, I was struck by what you said about how it's done in Grimsby. It's actually provided in through peer to peer support by people who have been through homelessness yeah. themselves, and so they really understand what some is going through yeah. what it takes to turn their life around I mean the thing that really brought it home to me when I was seeing the sort of how the pilots work is it, providing someone with you know addiction support with mental health services is hard enough doing it when they're in a hostel or they don't know where they're going to be the following night makes it that much harder mm. and so if you can provide those services to somebody when they're in a home and there's some stability to it already then clearly you've just got a better chance that those 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 services which are already difficult ones to provide are going to be more successful as long as there's the understanding that some for some people going into a flat on their own is a big is really yeah. daunting yeah. and so you know it can be an added pressure without necessarily realizing it so the support element of housing first is absolutely critical yeah it should really be i think the philosophy behind it should be that it's the person first and what they need to turn their life around mm. uh, housing first makes it sound like it's the home more than the person i think it's a sort of funny name to it and certainly where we're sort of working in manchester for example as part of this uh, pilot scheme to see if we can get this working the, the sort of philosophy and approach we bring to it is what is everything should be organized around that person to get them to feel that they've got some agency and some ability to to take back some control in their life okay so Thinking about the kind of as we come to the end, you've talked about these three drivers: the insecure tenancies that come from the private rented sector, um, the kind of welfare reforms that have seen people have less money for their housing, um, and um, the lack of affordable housing and, and Labour's prescription for this. Um, is there anything that can be done now by any of the organisations that? can try and tackle the problem now before we get a Labour government. We have this big policy which is fantastic of all the things we want to do. What can organisations, councils, charities be doing to try and help the situation at the moment? Is there anything uh, that can push forward and try and get people off the streets into secure housing before uh, we, we make all these big policy changes in the Labour government? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I mean, obviously I think there is. Like, I, it, it, the, the reason I'm at Shelter is because I think there are things we can do even when, uh, you know, even without changes in government policy. Mm. I mean, the, the two things I would say, I mean, Mel, you should add to this, but the two things I would say is, first of all, the more people understand their rights in relation to housing, the better the position is they're in. Yeah. And we, we, we can do a lot. I mean, we're incredibly uh, dependent on the support of individuals who provide us with small donations that allow us to do the work that we do. But we will help people manage, you know, help understand their rights and, 
and navigate their way through that process. And you do have housing rights when you get into difficulty. You have rights as well about dealing with debt, for example, when it gets too much. And so getting people into that process of some support and advice, the earlier the better, is just incredibly important. I think the other thing that I think we're looking to see local authorities do now, even in the current legislative environment, is implement the Homelessness Reduction Act in the way that is you know you know right and and works for the intent of the act and the intent of that is not to wait until the act clearly changes the burden on local authorities and all institutions actually not to wait until people are presenting at the point at which they are homeless and um, and as you know and, and they've reached the, the point of absolute last resort it's for local authorities to get involved earlier in the process that's the obligation that the act creates and try to prevent them becoming homeless and mm-hmm. that is that does involve spending money upstream and it probably involves moving monies from other areas of the budget but it is but I think we all think that if we can do more of that now it will save money in due course mm-hmm. I think that there's um, quite a lot of scope really um, to for local authorities um, housing associations local charities to work together and some of it is about working better together um, and as much as joining up the services oh absolutely yeah. joining up the services and it is happening just through necessity in lots of areas more and more uh, organisations are w- working much more closely together to try to uh, address some of the difficulties that they're facing in lots of things whether it's health or whether it's social care um, public health, education, all of those things. But I think, you know, when it comes to dealing with homelessness, um, the fact that, you know, in my, my local area, I think we've got like, five different organisations that are dealing with various different kinds of homelessness. Um, and that's in a small town, um, whether all of those are linked in yeah. to the local authority and all of the housing associations, mm. um, uh, landlords associations as well, because I don't think that they do uh, get themselves involved or even agents uh, for landlords getting themselves involved in these conversations um, to try and you know, uh, work out exactly where people can go and yeah. how the resources, the limited resources yeah. that local authorities have got can best yeah, be spent. Okay. So. so there's things that we can do now, but fundamentally we need a Labour government to introduce That is the most important thing. Yes. That's the final word. <laughs> Thank you both very much for um, joining me and uh, it was really good to talk about homelessness. It's always been uh, in the Labour Party a huge issue and um, uh, will continue to be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure.